0: Hello, Graham Norton here from the Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Been quite the weekend. Here's what we got up to today. Brian Gleeson joined us to chat about starring in the National Theatre's production of The Crucible, which is now in the West End. Minnie Driver brings us the paperback version of her stunning memoir, Managing Expectations. So, Chef Martha still over in Lincoln, and today she's making a Father's Day sweet treat for one lucky family on her summer tour. And Maria McCurlin is rustling through a postbag as we speak. So let's dive in and see how she is.
1: It's very um, muggy today, Graham. My hair is a hayrick. That's all I can say.
0: Well, I'm, wh- I'm shutting my eyes and I'm imagining that. I want to know how was the party? How was Jean's oh, 95th? My
1: well, first of all, I must say a big shout out to all the care, all the staff at the West Hall Care Home in West Byfleet who do an amazing job that I am afraid and probably you, Graham, couldn't do. Um, You know, care homes are care homes and we all sort of know what that means and it's kind of tough, you know, I just talked to somebody who'd got a mother in this care home and a father in another care home Um, and, you know, both with sort of end of life difficulties and I said to her, you know what, I'm thinking Dignitas, she said, I'll see you there.
0: (laughs) Group booking. <laughs> yeah. Let's hire a coach a trip. <laughs> yeah, a no. coach trip, Graham. <laughs> that, now, but, ch- now um, Channel 4, that's a good idea. You yeah. know that show they do in the afternoon, Coach Trip?
1: Stop it. I don't think, I think that's, it's a bit too good. But anyway, I wanted to talk to you, Graham, about, you know, I have not been on the M25 or any large roads for a long, long time. And of course... You fascinate me. Road- <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, but there's lot, there's roadworks. I'm going somewhere with this. There's okay. roadworks, et cetera, and delays, and you're in six lanes of traffic often. Yes. And I was in a position I find myself in, a, a lady of a certain age, and you're a gentleman of a certain age, where I was really desperate for the loo. Now, with men, I believe bottles can be used, etc. trying to be discreet and delicate here. But for women, it's really impossible. And I was thinking, I am... Actually, I don't know what to do. I just, do I get out of my car and use the hard shoulder? That's not advisable. Let me tell you that now. And then I spotted in the back of my car some puppy pads. <laughs> you know where I'm going with this? Oh, I and do. And of course, you're, you're stationary. You have time to arrange a puppy pad on your seat. Lift yes. yourself slightly so as to get the direction. Puppy pad used, popped in a plastic bag. Job done. Now, you're welcome, listeners, for this, because for women, it's a really difficult situation. I was not, I was 25 miles away from a service stop. I was in traffic that I just didn't move for an hour. See, I'm Is thinking... Is that a good
0: idea? Well, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, though, there's a big difference between little puppy bladder <laughs> and, and, and lady bladder. <laughs> was Especially the puppy, if you've waited the, a long time. Yes. Was the puppy pad up to
1: the job? <laughs> it was, Graham. I'm happy to tell you, and I really should be doing the advertising for the company, that it uh, not a leak was found on the seat and it its absorbance was tremendous. <laughs> That's so you great. Know, yeah. I'm here to recommend it. For, for perhaps people with very large bladders, maybe two would be advisable. But, you know, while you're stationary, you can position it under your seat, etc., etc.
0: No, that, honestly, we should really just wrap up now because we've we've done so done. much. Well, really, we have, we've changed lives, Maria. That's fantastic. <laughs> uh, that's a fantastic tip. I mean, you do Thank need you. a puppy pad and I wouldn't advise using anything else, like a magazine no. or paper or anything. I think no. that would... That would end um, in tears. But I was
1: rather I was rather thrilled with my ingenious idea. I mean it's it's maybe not for everyone, but if you're desperate and bottles are no good for the ladies because, you know, positioning, yes. um this is a very, very good idea.
0: Was the puppy I in the car tell- with you? What? Was the puppy no. in the car with you? No,
1: there was no sign of puppy. <laughs> But just some pads that I spotted. There was also a towel, but I decided to avoid it. No, that. no. Anyway, I think we have delighted the nation enough on my <laughs> toiletry d- habit. We,
0: we've discussed it the nation enough.
1: <laughs> Did you have a good evening?
0: Well, I didn't pee on a puppy pad, so no. <laughs> no. I had a really dull evening. <laughs> uh, you gather some letters. Virgin Radio.
2: Guide.
0: Aha. Letter number one, please. Here we go.
1: Dear Graham and Maria, I have a close friend at work who I've got a huge crush on. Let's call them Sarah. Everyone in my team goes to the pub every Wednesday and we all have a great laugh. But I feel that there's something different between me and Sarah. The nights get quite flirty. She's super tactile and pays a lot of attention to me and she's kissed me once too. The only problem is she's straight and she always jokes about how much of a shame it is when we spend time together. I really like her, but if she's straight, I don't wanna make a move and embarrass myself or cross a line. I've been quite reserved with her, even though I have my suspicions that she might actually be interested in women. I know that that's not something I can decide for her. Should I talk to her or do I need to get over it? And that is from Maddie in Hackney. Oh, Maddie and Hackney. I would say yes. It's lovely to have a flirt. We can all flirt with both sexes. And she's kissed you, but she has said, Maddie and Hackney, it's a shame that she's straight. Um, you know, a lot of women are bi curious. It's an interesting thing. A few drinks, a kiss. I, I think. If it was gonna go any further, it might have gone further with the kiss. But she has been quite adamant about it, and I think it will cause you heartache. I think to go further, and it might cause difficulty at work and for your Wednesday night drinks, etc. I would leave it at that. Leave them wanting more is always a bit of good advice, and maybe just stay in your own, you know, stay on your own team for a while, because I don't think this is going to be a fruitful relationship and it might cause conflict. And, yeah, you like to flirt with her, but she's kind of been very adamant that she's not interested in anything further. Graham, what do you think?
0: Well, I no, I agree with you because I, I think... The trouble is, any advice we give is kind of useless because Maddie now has an enormous crush on this Sarah. Yeah, so this I know. kind of so so actually, w- w- from the outside looking in, we can all say to Maddie, "Oh, do not be this woman's experiment. Do do not be this woman's trial and error." Uh, yeah, really. because it will end in heartache but the trouble is Maddie's in now she's got the crush she's going to the pub she's sitting next to Sarah and Sarah... You know Sarah's loving this. You know Sarah's, you know, really enjoying it because it's so safe for her in a way that she can kind of flirt with Maddie and and have the little kiss and all that sort of stuff and then kind of giggle and run away. Meanwhile, Maddie's getting her heart stomped on like grapes. So Yeah, well, this uh, is why I think... Yeah.
1: A lot of a lot of straight women can be a bit teasy, you know, because they are curious. Um, you know, we're all curious. That makes us human. But uh, the very fact that she said, um, "Isn't it a shame that I'm straight?" uh would indicate that she doesn't want to take it further. And so Maddie, yeah, it's so lovely having a crush on people, but have a crush on somebody from your team that isn't going to well, might break your heart in the end, you know, that's how life is. But for now is not going to break your heart and cause difficulties. You wouldn't, you know, it's work, Maddie. Uh you have a lovely time with drinks. It might be awkward. Straight people kind of then go, no, that wasn't me. I didn't do that. I didn't yeah. kiss you. I didn't want to take it further. All of that.
0: Because, oh yeah, you misread. Yeah. You As misread Graham things. Oh you, no. Know. Yeah, I was just you, having fun. You just yeah,
1: you just don't want to be someone's experiment. I think you've got it right there, Graham. It's an yeah. experiment for her, and it's a crush for you. Find someone who might crush on you back. That would and be. The all,
0: and also look for somebody outside of your own office. You know. <laughs> If you're keen, search, search a little wider. Throw, I throw know, but the we're all so
1: lazy. We're also <laughs> lazy. It's handy if there's someone in the office. Oh, I quite like <laughs> you. Drinks? Yeah, lovely. Mm. See you tomorrow.
0: <laughs> Into the responses part one. And my favourite responders today will be getting a bottle of number one Rina Lorea Reserva Yes, it's an exceptional Rioja Reserva uh, full of silky fresh and juicy red berry flavours on a soft mattress of elegant and integrated oak bringing notes of mocha and baking spices in harmonious balance of the fruit. It's perfect with slow-cooked lamb or game. Oh, lovely. Uh, courtesy of Waiters, thank you very much. Uh, Craig writes Most of us queer folk have been there, Maddie. It feels fun and special, often because you feel like the chosen one who has turned the straight one. But really, it can be messy and complicated. If something happens, are you now responsible? Are you now the tour guide? Are things messed up with work dynamics? You deserve an uncomplicated reciprocal love and interest. Be kind and have fun, but put your energy where it can be returned, as you deserve it. Now, Tracy, our HR director, writes, careful of workplace issues. Unrequited love at work can lead to complaints and grievances. I think she's being led on by a flirty, straight colleague at office drinks. Legally, you're still at work. Did anyone else know that? If you're at work, drinks after work, you're legally at work. Okay. Uh, if she responds to her crush in what she believes is a positive way, uh, the colleague may not feel the same way. Be careful. Oh, dear. I am really feeling for Maddie. This colleague is what I like to refer to as a messer. This is Pauline from Glasgow. No messing. She is messing with Maddie's head and harp with no intention of following through. The world is full of men and women like this. They target the lesbians and gays and use us for amusement without any consideration for the impact of their behaviour. I always feel that part of the problem is that they really don't think our emotions are valid or real because our sexuality is not as valid as theirs. Maddie should call her out on it. Maddie is not the problem here. Okay, Pauline. And finally, Natalie in need says, uh, Maddie should stay clear of Sarah romantically. It's never a good idea to get involved with someone at work as it can really complicate things. It's likely that Sarah just sees the flirting and kiss as something in the moment and no big deal. Something that makes her feel like a more interesting and fun person. She's happy to do it as there are no feelings involved for her and so she isn't considering that there would be any feelings there for you. Remember your self-worth and create a boundary with Sarah that won't leave you heartbroken. Thank you, Natalie. Thank you, everybody. That bottle of number one Rina Lora Reserva Rioja is going to Pauline from Glasgow. I like it. She's a messer. Hey, Maria, did you see we got feedback from yesterday's, uh, one of yesterday's I problems? know
1: a lovely photograph of Matthew who didn't want his friends to drink cheap Prosecco and get raucous with their legs aloft, talking nonsense. And one of his friends, kind friend to still go to the party, frankly, who heard that, (laughs) has sent a photograph of Matthew with his rather shapely legs aloft and a nice pair of um, sort of chino shorts and his sturdy flip-flops in his garden with a chocolate cake, having fun. And not a doily in sight, says Martin, who sent the picture in it's marvellous we love feedback
0: i know but also i think if matthew was that worried about how lovely everything was going to be maybe spend the afternoon creosoting your fence uh, that's what i'd say <laughs> <laughs> I,
1: I love that you notice the detail yes he's got some nice plants growing in that border graham but his fence is a disgrace uh, really? matthew it's a he's, disgrace he invited people around with that fence
0: i'm so surprised uh, do we have another letter
1: We do. Uh, Dear Graham and Maria, creosote, such a good word, Dear Graham and Maria, I've been happily married for five years now and my relationship with my wife is brilliant. I love her dearly. No problem there, (laughs) exclamation mark. My dilemma mm -hmm, is that an old friend of mine recently got in touch on Instagram and we've been chatting over the past few days. I thought nothing of it, just that it was lovely to reconnect, but she's just asked if I'd like to meet for a drink and I don't know what to do. We fell out of touch before I met my wife, so I've never told my wife about her. It shouldn't be a problem, but things did happen between me and my friend in the distant past. We were a lot younger, decided we would never work together and went back to being friends for a few years. We lost touch after she moved abroad and just drifted apart. Now I'd like to catch up this with this friend, but I'd feel disingenuous not telling my wife. My question is, do I need to tell her that things happened, even though it was so long ago? I don't know if it's pointless to drag out something that no longer feels relevant to the friendship, or whether I have a duty to tell my wife if she does come back into my life. Hello. If it if it were for, sorry, ideally It would be the best of both worlds. I'd welcome my old friend back and genuinely think she'd get on really well with my wife. Should I even meet up with her? Maybe I'm overthinking this and it doesn't even matter at all. Please help, Aaron in Nottingham. Aaron in Nottingham. Danger, danger, oop, oop, oop. You say, I love her dearly, no problem there. I think the best of both worlds was that if you could reconnect in some way with this person and still be with your wife. Listen, ask yourself this, Aaron in Nottingham. In fact, do this, even. Say, yeah, it'd be great to meet up. Why don't you come over to my house and then you can meet my wife. And then you can meet the wife, have nice drinks. Your wife will probably go off and do something more interesting while you two catch up on old times. Now, ask yourself that, Aaron. Would you want to do that? And if the answer is no, I don't want to do that, then this is a dangerous territory for you because... She's got him back back in touch with you, this woman. You had a thing together in the olden days. Is she trying to reconnect? Are you even thinking about it yourself? I think possibly you are. So have her over for dinner, for drinks, for cake, like Matthew. And, um, you know, then, then you don't have to tell your wife anything because it will all be apparent. You've only been together with your wife for five years. That's quite early to get the wanderlust. That's all I'm saying, Aaron, in Nottingham. What do you think, Graham?
0: Yes, I don't think he particularly has that. I think, you know, I think maybe on this, is, this letter is as sincere as it appears. I think, you know, all of that. What I think is weird is because they're connected on Instagram, presumably, you know, Aaron's wife is on Instagram. I mean, presumably, you know, there's pictures of them, maybe even pictures of their wedding. You know, scroll back a bit. Uh, lady, So it just seems a bit weird that she's going, oh, do we meet for drinks? It's just a bit... Uh, mm. But people
1: always say that very innocently, don't they? You know, oh, it's just somebody I used to go out with a long time ago and I'm meeting for him for drinks. If there was chemistry, then there'll be chemistry now. And it's it's dangerous territory. But we all go into these things with the best of intentions and innocence. But as we know from Maddie's letter, a few drinks down, people do things that are a little bit out of character for them. Yes, uh, and you know, and people can be very persuasive. I'm not going to say I, which gender is more persuasive, but one gender is easier led than others
0: the one thing I would say the one thing I would say to Aaron is uh, do I think mention definitely mention this to your wife because I think so long as it's a secret from your wife it's something that can go it can blow up in your face
1: exactly so
0: I think definitely say to your wife oh I, I did I ever mention my friend da 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 we kind of had a bit of a skirmish a while ago uh, you know long before I met you well oh, she's got back in touch on Instagram what should I do and yes. you know, do that and then it's all out in the open it's all innocent it can never kind of come back and be uh ooh you never told me about this and if
1: your wife is clever about it she was because you say aaron that you you know your wife and her would get along great if your wife is clever as it say oh why don't you invite her over we need another woman for dinner on tuesday or whatever if you do dinners um or why don't you invite <laughs> her over for drinks um we can you know hook her up with Brian, who's been on his own for 40 years um, or something like that. You know, you don't want to just go into dangerous territory and with the best of intentions. Dangerous territory suddenly can appear out of nowhere after eight pints.
0: And also, just sneaking around behind your wife's back, even if nothing happens, something has happened. You didn't tell your wife something. You you I mean, you may not have lied, but it's a secret. And yeah. you know what? Why is something a secret? There's never a good reason for something to be a secret. So, Aaron, be totally upfront with your wife. Whatever else happens, even if you have an affair with this woman, just <laughs> tell your wife <laughs> that. Tell your wife yeah, you're going run. to.
1: Yeah, this woman got back in touch, and I'm having an affair with her. Okay, bye. Bye. I should be home by nine. <laughs> <laughs> That's quick. Is that including dinner? <laughs>
0: no dinner <laughs> you old romantic um uh, have people got advice for, i think people will have a lot of advice for aaron from nottingham so i think uh,
1: aaron's gonna get it in the neck frankly well
0: no because i think i honestly think he is a bit of a doll and he kind of thinks oh yeah she was fun uh because you know they they decided to stop seeing each other and stay friends so you know, th- there was a proper friendship and there was a good innocence there. So I think that's all fine. But let's see what's You're so listener-
1: naive, Graham. You're so naive. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, listeners, what do you think? The responses, part two. And again, my favourite responder will be getting a bottle of number one Vina Loria Reserva Rioca, courtesy of Waitrose. So full of harmonious balance, you know. Uh, Gary from Round says, uh, uh, Aaron should ask himself how he would feel If the roles were reversed and his wife had been contacted by an old flame, would he want to know? Okay. Claire from uh, Ulster says, tell your wife about the drinks and invite her along with you. Then pay close attention to your friend's face when you walk through the door with your wife. And you'll soon be able to tell if she just wanted to be friends or much more. Okay. Oh, honey trap. Uh, for goodness sake, tell your wife. She's your wife. <laughs> I like Richard and Dunbridge You're so right. Tell your wife. She's your wife. Uh, your friend from years ago was probably reminiscing through rose-tinted glasses. You drifted apart for a reason, and these weekendings can peter out. Uh, Matt P. in Honor Oak. Uh, Aaron, you've got to be totally honest with your partner about this. How would you feel if you found out she hadn't told you about an old fling coming back into her life? It really is that simple. Tell her and work out a course of action you're both comfortable with. Otherwise, you're asking, you're risking your marriage. For what? If you can justify risking it, maybe you should reconsider being in it. Oh, my goodness. Thank you very much. Uh, The bottle of wine, the Rioja, is going to go to... Uh, Richard in Tunbridge Wells. She's your wife. Well done. The
2: Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio.
0: I'm joined now by my first guest of the day, uh, the National Theatre in London, a production of The Crucible. You amazing reviews, huge hit. It is now in the West End. It's at the Gilgood Theatre until the 2nd of September and I'm joined by the star of that play, Brian Gleeson. Hello, Brian Gleeson. Hiya, Graham. And it's Brian.
2: Uh, now, uh, oh, so you know. it is spelled Brian, but it's Brian. Yeah. Oh, so
0: you're all oh, you Sorry, um, I, I,
2: I apologize yeah. profusely.
0: <laughs> <That's> uh, <nothing>. <laughs> <laughs> no, because I saw. I've, weirdly, I looked you up and, I, and said, "Also known as Breen," because but smelled like Breen, and I thought, "Oh, once upon a time, he must have been Brian." But no, you are still Brian. Okay, there you go. <laughs> Thank you very much, uh,
2: Brian. Yeah. It caused me a lot of trouble down there. They would you wouldn't be the first. But uh, yeah, no, Breen, good, good, solid Irish name. <laughs> uh, yeah, now I spoke to
0: um, Liam Neeson's son once, and he wants to be known as Mihal rather than Michael, and that was fine. But he was on with his father, who kept calling him Michael, so it was very, it was very, oh, very, yeah. it was very confusing. Really, you're Breen. We've established that. Uh, so the Crucible, the Crucible uh, at the National in the West End. Um, uh, I mean, I suppose what's great is the that it's a national theatre production so this is bells and whistles an amazing set a huge cast the sort of show you don't really normally see in the west end
2: yeah yeah um and you know the the, the crucible itself is just one of those plays it's it's always on somewhere in the world um and it's 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 really lasted it'll be performed 500 years from now uh it's it's just a great a great piece of work and there's a yeah, there's you know, a spectacular set and there's wonderful choral music. So it's it's great because it's in a way it's just a good big spectacle event, but also really underneath is just a very, very uh very powerful, very human story. So it's kind of a great mix of the, the epic and the human at the same time. So yeah, I hope people come along and, and I think they'll enjoy. it.
0: Now, I don't want to call anyone this thing stupid, but if they don't know, if they don't know what the crucible's about, um, uh, can you give them a, just a brief taste of, w- of what the story involves?
2: Sure. Um, it's kind of loosely based on a, on a historical event which saw um, 20 people hanged for witchcraft in Salem, Massachusetts in 1692. So it's this kind of infamous witch hunt that we've kind of half heard about you know down the years um, and it's about this community that, that's ripped apart by these false accusations um, and it's, it stems from a group of, of, of young women who um, kind of were, who were caught you know dancing in the woods and, and being very uh, you know transgressing the morality of the time yep. by being kids really um, but what happens is to avoid being punished and, and for other different reasons they uh, they say you know it wasn't their fault that they were wished to do this and suddenly that's seized on by the kind of elders in the community who use it to kind of accuse their enemies and stuff like that. Uh, so that's the kind of broad the broad story of it. Um, um, but you know I think Arthur Miller really uh, went a lot deeper than that. Um, and made it about the time that he was living in, which is 1950s America with the Red Scare about communism. Um, so it applies to that time, but also it's it's pretty universal. It's kind of one of the reasons it's performed so much.
0: And Brian, am I right in thinking, I mean, maybe it's just because I'm old, but are you younger than the normal John Proctor?
2: Well, he's, uh, in a way, yeah, because he's described as, as mid-30s, which, which I am. Uh, but I don't know. Uh, I think if you think back, back then, yeah. <laughs> uh, to that time or the fifties, lads in their mid thirties could maybe look a little older. Um, but technically, technically, I'm bang on.
0: Okay, technically. And and John Proctor, often he's played, he's played as kind of a pure baddie. But in this production, you found a kind of more nuanced way through. I believe.
2: Um, yeah, it's it's, it's it's a a great part. He's a flawed hero. He's in the vein of Miller's other great, tragic, flawed heroes um, who are kind of fundamentally decent, but um, unresolved in how they view themselves and their journeys about how they become uh, at peace with, with, with who they are. But it's a great, it's a great part. He's, Kind of uh, you know he's a farmer he's very plain spoken he's uh, kind of respected in the community but really he's he's hiding this deep dark secret which is that he had an affair with his servant Abigail uh, you know and he's he's a married man and he's had this affair and, and uh, Millie Alcock plays Abigail um, and so really for him coming to terms with what he's done um, and because Abigail is one of the chief accusers in these witch trials you know uh, Proctor. It goes into a very dark place where he has to uh, look deep into himself to realise the harm that he's done. Um, So he's been played in loads of different ways, you know, uh, and English actors love talking about giving performances like I I gave my Hamlet this year. (laughs) Uh, So, you know, I am giving my John. and, you know, it's just all you do is, I don't know, maintain a sort of innocence about it and not worry about uh, what's gone before. And the great thing about it is that it's such a good part that it'll speak to you no matter who you are. So you'll find something different in there regardless, you know.
0: And, Brian, when you were doing this at the, the National, was that your first time in kind of a front of a live audience since lockdown or had you done any other plays kind of post-lockdown?
2: Um, I was working in Ireland last year, so I wasn't in the original production. Uh, there was an actor called Brendan Cowell. Oh, terrible, John terrible. Uh, Cowell. <laughs> I, I believe not Brendan. O'Carroll. <laughs> <laughs> no, they yeah. couldn't get Brendan or Carl. <laughs> 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 he was too busy doing Mr. I, I wish. I um, wish they had. <laughs> 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 Would have been. Uh, Would have been a hard, hard act to follow. But no, but, uh, Brendan. Brendan Carroll did that, and I took the batting from him, uh, and so I am new. Into, into this production and there's a few cast members as well who are, who are new so I did a lot I did a lot of theatre last year in Ireland and that was just amazing having come out of lockdown just realising how special it is and how much I love it you know yeah
0: and wh- where are you based Brian are you, are you based in Ireland or are you based uh, over in London
2: I'm I'm in I live in Dublin and I'm here for the play and I lived in London for years I kind of I basically got between the two places but uh yeah I have a lot of, uh, lot of growth for London, as the Irish say. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's a great place to be uh, for the summer, uh, even though I'll have to be a the minute because I have to turn my phone off so we can talk to each other. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so apart from the weather, uh, yeah, no, it's a great city. And the theatre here is magnificent. So, yeah, no, it's, it's a pleasure to do.
0: Uh, well, it's a fabulous production of The Crucible. It's playing at the Gielgud until Saturday, the second of September. You can get tickets at The Crucible on Stage. All one word, thecrucibleonstage.com. All right, lovely to talk to you, Breen. Take care now. Bye. Still to come, the lovely mini driver joins me to celebrate her new paperback, Managing Expectations. But first, hello, Lincoln. Oh, hello there. Hello, and how are Mookie, Dan, and William all good?
3: Very good. Yeah. Good, morning. Very
0: good morning. <laughs> very Zoo Radio. Well done, everybody.
3: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> We've got it down now. We've got it down to a fine art.
0: <laughs> well done, uh, everyone. Well, there was no food poisoning after the tomahawk steak. <laughs> no, very good. Full up. <laughs> good. Actually, Martha, do you make them sign a waiver in case <laughs> in case they get ill?
3: <laughs> <laughs> we might have to do that in the next couple of houses. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, a, le- a legal <laughs> so disclaimer.
0: Still- a legal disclaimer. We're
3: still complaining about lack of chips, though. We wanted chips.
0: I know. Go all the way to Lincoln and not bring a chip. Honestly, terrible, terrible, terrible. I'm sorry. <laughs> and did you did you manage to kind of eat outside, or are you actually doing it all inside?
3: We ate a bit outside. Um, the sun came out a little bit for us, which was good. Um, but I think it's going to rain rain today, unfortunately. Oh oh the garden needs the water
0: yes of course listen i'll tell you what uh i believe martha you've got a father's day treat in store for dan
3: oh i do we can all hunker in inside hunker down inside even and have something sweet in the rain
0: Ooh, delicious what have you made
3: So this is a sunken chocolate cake with a passion fruit rippled cream. And it's from the lovely Father's Day menu that Ed Smith has put together in this week's Waitrose Weekend. We've taken the dessert and it's perfect for something outdoor. It's flourless, really good if you're gluten free. And hopefully it will suit the whole family.
0: Okay, I have to say anything like... The fact that it's supposed to sink and (laughs) It sounds really hard to make.
3: (laughs) Oh, what? Do you think it sounds hard because it's supposed to sink? I feel like if because it's supposed to sink, you can just cover all your mistakes. You should say that about all your cakes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I've made another of my sunken cakes, (laughs) everyone. Another
3: one. (laughs) Just add sunken to the front of any cake you've made (laughs) that hasn't quite worked out. Cover it in cream and you get away with it. No, (laughs) it's not that hard to make, I can assure you.
0: Okay. And uh, what did you say you were serving? with
3: so it's got a passion fruit rippled cream over the top so it's a really high percentage of chocolate in the sponge itself it's a 90 percent number one waitrose ecuadorian chocolate in the sponge and then we've got this lovely just plain whipped cream and then you spoon over a passion fruit and it has this lovely tropical aroma coming off it we can't and, wait to tuck in
0: and mookie and dan and william do you have sweet teeth uh, is this the sort of thing that your family would normally eat
1: Absolutely,
0: yes. (laughs) It looks incredible and it smells fantastic. Yeah,
1: yeah, it smells fantastic.
3: Uh, uh,
0: Mookie, you happy with that? Oh, my goodness.
3: It's unctuous, delicious, tasty, divine.
0: Wow, okay. Uh, William, what do you think?
3: Uh, I love the texture. Uh, I love love all the, also I love the creamy topping.
0: Yeah, and sugar. (laughs) 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 yeah nice texture and sugar uh and dan of course uh happy father's day to you uh what do you make of it no it's
3: fantastic i've I've almost eaten all of mine now so i've just got a tiny bit left (laughs) uh, yeah but yeah i will look forward to eating the rest of it too
0: and has it got that kind of uh, slightly uh chocolate dusting that makes it look like you've all had an accident uh, (laughs) after you've eaten it
3: No, this one doesn't, but you could do that, I think, as well. Yep.
0: Okay. Uh, Martha, tell us all about it. How do we make it? Give us the receipt.
3: So, you want to take yourself a 20-centimetre springform pan, get that nice and well greased and preheat your oven. Then we are taking butter and this really high-percentage dark chocolate. We're using 90%, which is very bitter, but it works really well with the sugar, which is going to come into the cake a little bit later. So that melts over the heat. Then we're going to take two kinds of sugar, caster sugar and light muscovado sugar, Whisk that with some eggs and some egg yolks until it's nice and foamy. Then we're going to fold in that melted chocolate, some whisked egg whites and get that lovely and light. And then ground almonds are our flour replacement, so they're going in next. Tip that all into your prepared tin and bake for 40 to 45 minutes. And what you're looking for is it to rise up a little bit like a meringue. And then as you get it out, it will sink and crack a little bit. But that's why it's got such a lovely kind of soft, as Mookie said, unctuous middle, (laughs) where it's nice and um, a little bit like a brownie, a little undercooked, but it sets really perfectly as it cools so let that cool completely then when it's cooled down we're going to whip up some cream just plain essential waitress double cream fold that over the top of the cake do a nice little swirl with a spoon and then cut open a passion fruit half all over the top and it's just got a really lovely passion fruit and chocolate It's like it's like a, a more grown-up chocolate orange it's like got that lovely citrus note which cuts through the chocolate really nicely
0: Oh, lovely. If you're listening to that thinking, oh, 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 I can't write it down, don't worry. You can go to waitrose.com slash showchef uh, to find that recipe and all of Martha's recipes. You can also see what it looks like uh, on our socials at Virgin Radio UK. Uh, Thank you so much to Mookie, Dan and William. Lovely talking to you all.
3: Lovely to talk to you. Bye, Graham. Bye, Graham.
0: And uh, and Mookie, I will be making your gin and tonic slushy this afternoon. (laughs) Oh, yes, please. That's (laughs) my takeaway from all of this. Uh, Lovely to talk to you. Thank you very much.
2: The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin
0: Radio. Now, listen to this. Uh, last year, Managing Expectations, a memoir and essays, was published and was voted Best Memoir of the Year by Mary Clare. Its author joins me now, Mini Driver. Hello, Mini Driver.
4: <laughs> Hello, Graham Norton. How are you? I'm really well, thank you. I've got a hat on that says Buenos Dias.
0: Oh, that's very kind of you, if you're saying it to me. <laughs> uh, when I see studio's right back at you. Uh, so this, I always think, is interesting, bringing out uh, the paperback, because you're kind of revisiting uh, something. And actually, you did quite a major change. You've got a whole new essay in, in the paperback version.
4: Yes. I mean, that's the the brilliant thing about bringing out a paperback version is that you have the opportunity to add something new in. And I realised I hadn't spoken... Like, there's, there's a pretty nut story in the book about when i was 11 and i had a fight with my father and he put me on a plane back to england but i had to go via miami and stay a night by myself in one of the most infamous hotels in the world at that time and i was alone for this you know basically a day and a night and um I, i had a lot of people go what was up with your dad and um i or or how I, annoying
0: were you or, or basically basically
4: how annoying was i which i think is pretty much covered in the book i think you get a sense of just how annoying i was but i needed to give context to my my father and so i had the opportunity to write this story and i wrote about him and it's about you know the war that he had and that generation of men who just they just didn't talk about it and at 18 years old what he went through and what he survived And to sort of become the man that he was suffering from PTSD, for which there was not an acronym at that in 1939. Like it was, it was really, it was really amazing to be able to write that and and give that to him because he was extraordinary. And it's nice to be remembering him on Father's Day.
0: And what struck me about that essay is you learning his intimate, extraordinary story from strangers while being filmed.
4: I know. I mean, God, it's just, you can't just, I couldn't just do it simply by just going and asking him when he was, you know, around. Uh, It was, yeah, it was on, I was doing the genealogy show, Who Do You Think You Are? And I really did not think that I was going to find anything out that was going to be that cataclysmic. I thought it would be really interesting, but it was, it was pretty astonishing going to RAF Hendon and finding out all of this stuff. All of my uh, my father's war record was sort of there, and it was interpreted by uh, a war historian, and it was just it was it was extraordinary. It was absolutely extraordinary.
0: And your mom was still alive at that stage, wasn't she?
4: She was, and so, she didn't know. Oh,
0: well, that's Alfred. what I was going to ask. So she didn't know Alfred. Yeah. Oh, right.
4: No, she knew that he'd. Mum knew that he'd basically he threw his medal in the Thames. He 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 won the highest honour um, that a man of his rank. Which seems awful at this point that that you would be heroism would be ranked differently according to your status within the RAF. But anyway, he threw his medal in the Thames. Um, I think his guilt and his PTSD, his guilt at being a survivor, and he never spoke about the war ever. And that's as much as my mother knew. So she found out. We all did with this show what his experience had really been and how how many lives he had saved and how you know his death was certain. Um, when his plane was shot down by the um, by the Messerschmitt um, on the, you know, the coldest winter in record. Yeah. Um, and then there was this strange, strange connection that he actually did end up dying on December the 18th, which is the same day that he flew that fated air air battle um, in 1939. He he did actually die on December 18th, just 70 odd years later.
0: Wow. And you write so beautifully about that, but you write so beautifully about everything. Your writing's extraordinary. And I, I wondered oh, okay. because... You know, we all change all the time, and you were writing really about losing your mom and about that grief, almost in real time. Yeah. When you were putting the paper back together, were you tempted to go back in and and change it, or did you read it and think, "Oh, isn't that funny? I didn't remember that. That's how I felt at that precise mm. moment."
4: Do You know, I uh, um, I found it extraordinarily comforting. I cannot believe. The, the writing of mum's death, that that exists as a, a it, I, I almost use it like therapy, like I'll go back. And I, I can't believe the attention to detail is so acute because when you're losing someone in real time, each second is imprinted or thrown into a bolder relief than the rest of your life, it feels like to me. So when I go back and I read that story, it gives me access to uh, to her and to that moment. And I feel incredibly close to her. So it's I didn't want to change a word. Um, Because I also feel like memoirs are a snapshot of your, of your memory in that moment. And I'm sure, you know, if I wrote all those stories again today, they'd probably be a bit different. I don't know.
0: And it's the story of you, it's the story of your family, but also there's kind of, you know, there there are bits about your work and your career and Hollywood and stuff like that. And I wondered, because you you wrote it, you know, you're in a room, you're writing it, and then suddenly, oh, book out in world. Uh, Have you had any feedback from people you've worked with who kind of went, oh, I didn't realize that's how you experienced that, or I'm sorry I was that way?
4: Do you know, oh God, no, frankly, there should have been a few more, a bit more of that, Graham. Um, <laughs> oh no, I should have had a few more apologies. No, I, I have not. I've, I've um, spoken to a couple of people who really, who enjoyed it and enjoyed the sort of telling of it. But I was, I, was, I feel like I was quite measured in my telling, particularly where it was involving other famous people. Because I was, I don't know, I didn't want to write, I didn't want to write a sort of tabloidy book, which yeah. I think was annoying to some people. There are certainly a few of my friends who are like, I could have done with a little more juice. <laughs> um, and I was like, this is not a juice-free book, but that wasn't my intention. Um, so I, want, you know, I wanted it to be something that my son could read. I wanted it to be to give people an idea of what it is like to be a normal person upon whom fame is visited. Because we're so caught up in this notion of fame now, and it existing for no reason a lot of the time. It becoming more about infamy than, than doing something that warrants uh, notoriety. Uh, I thought that would be interesting. So I didn't really want to, I didn't want to make anybody upset or sad.
0: Oh, good. Um, good. Well done, you. Yeah. I recommended your book to so many people, Minnie. Um, oh, great. And the last person I recommended to, in fact, I recommended the audio book and she ran out of the studio so happy and she should have finished it by now, is your friend Lucy Boynton.
4: No. Lucy,
0: oh, I love her. Yeah, oh, because you're you're both so good in Chevalier. I know you're not here to talk about Chevalier, but it is in cinemas. It and is you, in
4: cinemas right now. And you and are she you is are great in it.
0: She's oh. great, but so are you, lady. If people didn't hear the Lucy Boynton interview, just give us a, a hint of that story because it's a mad story. Oh my god, it's
4: bananas that we don't. You basically all you have to know is that napoleon was responsible for excising the story of joseph bologna chevalier de saint Georges, from french history chevalier de saint georges was he was the son of uh, a a slaver and a slave in haiti and he was uh, a violent prodigy and he was brought to paris by his father in the 18th century and he became one of the greatest swordsmen and a virtuoso violinist and composer. He was a contemporary of Mozart's and he was an extraordinary part of, of, of Marie Antoinette's court. And nobody knows about him. And we made this film um, and Lucy plays Marie Antoinette brilliantly. And Calvin uh, Harrison Jr. plays Chevalier de Saint-Georges. It, it's so worth watching. It's a beautiful film. It, it really is. And I obviously play the evil diva because apparently yeah. that is my lot
0: in life. Well, we all saw Phantom of the Opera. Well, I we didn't, but, uh, but I did. <laughs>
4: well, not everyone.
0: Listen, not everyone. <laughs> somebody's got to.
4: Somebody's got to be the awful diva. Um, <laughs>
0: <laughs> and and Babini, your awful diva in Chevalier—is she kind of an, an amalgamation yeah. of different characters, or is she, is she a real person?
4: Yeah, you know what's terrible is that Lagimard was actually this very this this amazing dancer in the Paris Opera, and actually a very uh, philanthropic person and they've used her name rather sadly and created her as an opera singer who, who, who brings about his downfall, but she is, she's an amalgam of basically the music, the um, whatever, the literate, what's, what would be the, the, the music literati? If it's not literati, what would it be? Uh, The music, the the music, the the
0: clickerati or the The clickerati. uh, Yeah, exactly. Well, she was,
4: she's, she's basically that. And she, her along with Gluck, who was the composer who was made the head of the Paris Opera instead of Joseph de Boulogne, they brought him down. And he was, um, terrible things happened to him. Terrible things. Uh, 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 But it's uh, it's an amazing uh, movie.
0: Yeah, and it's it's, called Chevalier. It's hit now. The other thing I want to ask you, Minnie, is because your writing is so fluent and beautiful and evocative, have you got the bug? Mm. Are you working on something else? Are you working on a novel? What's going on?
4: Yeah. Oh, boy. I, I do have the bug. Um, I have this story that I am I see it so clearly as a movie and I see it so clearly as a book and I am sort of weirdly writing both at the same time and um, I will see which one kind of happens first the but, book. yeah i am <laughs>
0: <laughs> i'll but tell you now the book, the book will happen sooner. thanks Graham.
4: thanks, thanks well, for no, that because
0: it's well it's much easier to write a book than make a movie
4: <laughs> i don't know like i feel like you can if you have the idea of a story uh, b- basically people love uh ip in the film business so they love um intellectual property so basically You can't just pitch a story idea, but if you have an actual story, like if I even if I wrote this as a short story, I could then go and sell that and a film company could make that maybe even quicker than... It's interesting. Like, I don't know. I don't know. I think how long it would take me to write it as a novel. I mean, how long does it take you to write books?
0: I I give myself about a year. It doesn't take a year, but I give myself a year. It is Um, a year, isn't
4: it? That's what my mate Emma said. Emma Forrest, she's an amazing writer. And she said, yeah, it's like a page a day.
0: I wow. Never a page a day. You know,
4: I I've never, never written a page a, page a day. <laughs> no, never. I literally, I'll literally stare out the window for the, I could write a page a day if I didn't get distracted by, you know, daydreaming and the internet.
0: I so hope you you write some more because you write so well, Minnie. I'm, I know I'm not the only person telling you this. Uh, a it's lot of so people are, are are blowing smoke up your fundament, really and uh, so and so they should. Uh, <laughs> the name of the book is Managing well, Expectations. Nice. Oh yeah, I bet it does. <laughs> Buenos dias <laughs> to you. <laughs> Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you so much (laughs) for joining us today, (laughs) Mini Driver. And congratulations on on the paperback. Love to talk to you. Take care now. (laughs) Bye, love. Bye, 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 bye. (laughs) That's us for now. Thanks so much for listening. You can catch me every Saturday and Sunday from 9.30 on Virgin Radio. And make sure you're up to date with all our goings-on at Virgin Radio UK on all of our social channels. Catch you next time.
2: The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio.